We are continuing in our study in 1 Thessalonians in this matter of how Satan tries to upset the faith of God's people. Now, our key verse, the verse we have been standing on and studying, is 1 Thessalonians 3.5. You'll, you'll remember now the whole theme of this third chapter of 1 Thessalonians is the stability of the Christian life. Paul sought to establish them in the faith. Paul was down in Athens. He was concerned about these young Christians up in Thessalonica, Christians who had been saved perhaps two months. He sent Timothy back to help establish them in their faith. Chapter 3, verse 5, For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. Now the question we've been trying to answer is this, how does Satan attack the faith of the believer. You see, the Christian is supposed to live by faith. We're saved by faith, but we have to live by faith. And to live by faith means to obey God's word and trust God's promises in spite of circumstances and feelings. Now, dear Christian friend, if you go by your feelings or if you go by circumstances, you're not walking by faith. Walking by faith means obeying God's word and trusting God's promises in spite of circumstances and feelings. Now, we discovered in previous lessons that there are four illustrations of Satan's tactics in the Old Testament. In uh, Genesis chapter 3, where Satan attacked Eve's mind, you'll recall in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, The Apostle Paul warned those Christians, and he warns us about the devices of Satan when he says this, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So Satan attacked Eve's mind, trying to get her to doubt the word of God, trying to get her to be ignorant of the word of God. You'll recall, we saw in our previous lesson, Satan asked three questions. He says, Yea, hath God said? He asked that question. Then he said, Ye shall not surely die. And then he went on to make his own promise. Now, Satan attacks the word of God. He attacks your mind through lies. And the only solution is the inspired word of God. I want to repeat that. Satan attacks your mind through lies. And the only solution, the only weapon is the inspired word of God. When Satan comes with his lies, you have to believe God's truth. Now, today we have a second illustration of how Satan works, and this is in Job chapters 1 and 2. Now, the story of Job is very familiar. Job was a wealthy man and a godly man, one of the greatest men, in fact, the greatest man of his day. And he, was, he had a lovely family, and things were going beautifully, and there came a day. There was a day, says Job chapter 1, verse 6. There was a day when the angels of God came and presented themselves before God up in heaven, and Satan was there. Now, this bothers some people, but you know, Satan has access to heaven. We read in Revelation chapter 12 that one day Satan will be cast out of heaven, but today he has access to heaven. He's the accuser. Now, this may be brand new to you, and we're going to deal with this later in a more detailed way, but uh, you'll read the book of Revelation, and you'll discover that Satan is pointed out as the accuser of the brethren. Uh, Revelation chapter 12, for example, points this out. 
Verse 9, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast into the earth, and he heard a loud voice saying, The accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Now when the angels of God appeared, Satan appeared, and and God said to Satan, uh, Have you considered my servant Job? He's a godly man, he's perfect, he's upright. Satan says, Doth Job fear God for naught? Thou hast made a hedge about him. You've protected him. I can't get to him. He said, You put forth your hand, you take away his money, and he'll curse you to your face. Well, verse 13, there was a day, and there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, the asses were feeding, and the enemy came and took them away. I'm the only one left. And while he was yet just through speaking, another man came and said, The fire of God came and destroyed all your sheep. Another one came while he was yet speaking and said, The Chaldeans made off with your camels, killed all your servants. And while he was speaking, another one came and said, A great wind came and and ruined the home, the house where your children were, and they're all dead. So in one short day, the stock market fell out and Job lost everything. And Job arose and he rent his mantle. He tore his mantle, which was a sign of grief. He shaved his head, he fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he won the battle. Well, the next day there was a meeting up in heaven and God said, I told you so. He said to Satan, I told you that Job was a godly man. And Satan says, sure, but let me touch his body. Let me make him sick, and you'll find that he'll curse you to your face. And so God said, all right, you may touch his body, but you cannot take his life. Now, I want to say this at this point. Satan is not omnipotent. Satan can only do to me what God permits him to do. This is important now. People have the idea that Satan goes to and fro doing whatever he wants to do. This is not true. God gave the orders And when God permits Satan to do something to me, it is because he has a perfect plan for my life. You recall that he said to Peter, Satan hath desired to have you, all the disciples, that he may sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. Satan came and said, I want to get a hold of those disciples. I want to put them in my sieve and shake them up. And this didn't hurt them one bit because God used this to strengthen them. Now, Christian friend, Satan is under the hand of God. Satan is not a freelancer. Satan does not have omnipotent power. He can only go as far as God permits him to go. Therefore, whatever difficulties come to our lives are under the hand of God. There's a little song that we sometimes hear the children sing, My Father Planned It All. And I think that's very true. Now, what was Satan's target when it came to Job? Was it his mind? No, he didn't try to deceive him with lies. It was his body. Satan touched the physical part of Job. Now, your body is important to God. Satan knows how important your body is. Sometimes we evangelical Christians so emphasize what we call the soul that we minimize the body. You know, you're one person. Uh, I know you are a soul living in a body, and if your body turns to dust, your soul goes to be with the Lord. I know this. But you know, while we are living in this body, this body we live in is important. It's a sin to ruin your body. It's a sin for a Christian deliberately to ruin his body. 
Some Christians are smoking themselves to death. Some are eating themselves to death. Some are working themselves to death. We've got to take care of our bodies. Our bodies are God's tools. You know, in Romans chapter 6, the Word of God compares your body and my body to God's tools. He says in Romans chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, Don't yield your bodies and the members of your bodies as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but yield your bodies, your members of your bodies, as instruments of righteousness unto God. Romans 6.13. That word instruments means tools or weapons. You know, a godly Christian is a wonderful weapon in the hands of God. God got a hold of Abraham, Gideon, Moses, David. Why, when David faced Goliath, he said, Now, Lord, here's my arm. If you can use my arm to be one of your weapons, here's my arm, here's my hand. I've been out there in the pasture, and I've been throwing stones, and I know how to use this slingshot. Now, Lord, here's my arm to be your tool, your weapon to accomplish your will. Don't look upon your hands as your own. They belong to God. God has no hands but our hands to do his work each day. He has no feet but our feet to guide men in his way. And God knows how important your body is, and so does the devil. And the devil can get to many Christians through their bodies. Your body is God's tool. Your body is God's temple. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul said, I want to magnify Christ in my body. Now, your body is to be used, my body is to be used as God's temple to magnify him. We can glorify God in our bodies right now. We don't have to have glorified bodies to glorify God. You and I, by the way we live, the life that we live, the way we speak and act, the works that we do, we can glorify God through our bodies right now. You'd have a hard time serving God without a body. I'd have a very difficult time pastoring a church if I didn't have a body. And Satan attacks the body. Our bodies are God's tools and God's temples and God's treasure house. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the glory may be of God and not of us. You know, your body is a treasure house. God has put his Holy Spirit down in you, and God has given you his word, and God has given you eternal life, and you have this treasure in the earthen vessel. Did you know that Satan would kill you if he could? Now, of course, some Christians, Satan's glad they're alive because they are such poor examples and such poor advertisements that they are doing his work and not the Lord's work. There are some Christians that, that the devil is really glad they're around because they are hindering the work of the Lord. But Satan would like to get out of the way Christians who are really living for Christ. He attacks the body. Now, what does he try to get us to do? Why does Satan attack your body? Maybe you have physical affliction, you have sickness. Not all sickness comes from Satan, but certainly God has permitted Satan to give some people affliction. Why does Satan attack the body with circumstances and, and suffering and things that are so difficult to put up with? He tries to get us to be impatient with God's will. Remember now, with Eve, he attacked her mind and tried to get her to be ignorant of God's will. With Job, he attacked his body, trying to get him to be 
impatient with God's will. You know, it's rather interesting. You read the, the entire New Testament, and Job is mentioned, as far as I know, only once in the entire New Testament. Over in James chapter 5, verse 11. James 5, 11, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the endurance of Job, and have seen the purpose of the Lord, the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. What's the one thing the New Testament tells us about the patience, the endurance of Job? You know, if Satan can get a Christian to be impatient, he's won a great battle. I think one of the greatest sins in the lives of Christians today is the sin of impatience. Impatience is a sign of unbelief. Isaiah 28:16 says, He that believeth shall not make haste. Hebrews 6:12 says, Faith and patience inherit the promises. Impatience is a sign of immaturity. Little children are always impatient. When our youngest daughter, who is soon going to be 10, was just a small tyke, she had an awfully hard time going on vacations with us. We'd leave uh, Covington, Kentucky, and take off for the northern part of Indiana to see our parents. And we'd get to the first stoplight, and she'd say, Are we there yet? We'd say, No. How much longer? Five hours. I'll never make it. Well, she did make it, whether she liked it or not. But, you know, when Christians get impatient, it's a sign of immaturity. It's a work of the flesh. Impatience is a work of the flesh. And impatience leads to very costly mistakes. Remember the last time you ran ahead of the will of the Lord and all the trouble it caused? Now, friend of mine, the devil attacks your body, as he did Job's, trying to get you to be impatient with God's will. In our next lesson, the Lord willing, I want to talk to you about our defense against this. When Satan attacks your body, what it is we can do to win the victory. Our good word today has to do with this matter of defeating Satan when he attacks the body. Now please allow me to review where we've been. Our basic verse is 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 5, where the Apostle Paul was concerned about these young Christians, and he sent Timothy to teach them and to encourage them to establish them in the faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. We've been looking during these days at how Satan attacks the believer. We've discovered four illustrations of this in the Old Testament. The first of these is in Genesis chapter 3, Eve. There Satan attacked her mind. Read 2 Corinthians 11:3. He attacked her mind, trying to get her ignorant of God's will. He questioned God's word. Yea, hath God said? He denied God's word. Ye shall not surely die. Then he substituted his own lie. The only weapon that will defeat Satan's lies in your mind is God's truth. And so weapon number one in the arsenal of the believer is the inspired word of God. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And I plead with you to study the word of God, to learn it, to know it, to memorize it. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Now we've been looking at Job. And in Job chapters 1 and 2, we find Satan attacking not his mind, but his body. He took away all of his wealth. He took away his family. He took away his health. And Job was covered with sores from head to foot, sore boils. His wife turned her back on him. His friends came to comfort him and ended up criticizing him. And Job was in misery. 
Now, I'll make a confession to you. I know I'm a pastor. I've been saved now for some 25 years, thank the Lord. But I want to confess to you that when I get sick, it's mighty easy to be unspiritual. I've been through severe suffering as the result of an auto accident, and I've experienced God's grace. But you know, sometimes you get a headache or a toothache or a backache, and you're so hard to live with, and I get so hard to live with because of the body. Now, we saw in our last study that Satan attacks the body and tries to make us impatient with God's will. You know, patience is a great virtue in the Christian life. James 5.11 says, You have heard of the patience of Job, the endurance of Job. Christians need to have endurance. In Hebrews chapter 12, we're told to run with patience, with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. Now, impatience in the Christian life is an evidence of unbelief. I've often quoted Isaiah 28:16, He that believeth shall not make haste. When I find somebody running ahead of God's will, I say, you better watch out. You're going to get into trouble. I've cautioned young couples, now don't get married too soon. I've cautioned people about changing jobs and changing locations. Be careful. Don't run ahead of God. Patience is a sign of maturity. Impatience is a sign of immaturity. Impatience comes from the flesh, not the spirit. The Holy Spirit is very patient. Impatience always leads to costly mistakes. Now, what weapon do we have to fight the devil? Now, the devil uses circumstances. He attacks our body with circumstances, trying to get us to be impatient with God's will. Of course, you want to remember, friend, that God controls circumstances. Did you know there are two kinds of circumstances in my life and in your life? If you're saved today, there are two kinds of circumstances. There are correcting circumstances and perfecting circumstances. There are circumstances that God brings to my life, he permits to come to my life to correct me. The Bible calls this chastening. In verse 6 of Hebrews 12, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all sons are partakers, then are ye illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? Now, God chastens us to correct us. God permits difficult circumstances to come to correct us. I've noticed this in my own life. Whenever I get away from God, whenever some sin comes into my life, or whenever I get cold or backslidden or lose a burden for souls, God always permits some kind of circumstance to come that forces me to pray. God has to whip me sometimes. I've been to God's woodshed. And you know, children today need discipline. I discipline my children, not because I hate them, but because I love them. And they don't believe it, but it's still true. It's harder on me than it is on them. I'm sure God does not enjoy chastening his children. Some of God's children have ended up in hospital beds. Some of God's children have ended up in in all kinds of difficulties because God wants to bring them back. He wants to get them to a place of submission. This is correcting circumstances. But not all circumstances are correcting circumstances. Some are perfecting circumstances. 
Over in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, the Apostle Peter, who certainly went through a, a lot, makes this statement. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Sometimes God gives us circumstances not to correct us, but to perfect us. Let me illustrate this principle. I'm thinking of two storms in the Bible. One, back in the book of Jonah. In Jonah chapter 1, God commanded the prophet to go to Nineveh, to the Gentiles, and preach, and he refused to go. He went down in the opposite direction, got on a boat, went down in the boat, and went to sleep. You know, it's amazing how peaceful some backsliders can be. People say to me, well, I have peace about this thing. Jonah had peace too, but he was way out of the will of God, and God sent a storm. Now, why did God send that storm? Why did those sailors almost lose their lives? Because God was correcting Jonah. It was discipline. I'm thinking, for example, of David. God had to send discipline to David to correct him and bring him to a place of submission. That's one storm. The other storm I'm thinking about is is in Mark chapter 4, where the apostles were out in that storm, and uh, Jesus uh, had to deliver them from the storm. Why did he put them into that storm? To perfect them, to help them to grow. The Arabian people have a motto, a slogan that says, all sunshine makes a desert. This is true in our Christian lives. If we didn't have a few clouds, a few storms, we'd never grow. If God didn't challenge us with difficult circumstances, we'd coast along. If God didn't permit the devil to attack our churches and our ministries, we'd become so complacent God couldn't use us. Now, Satan uses circumstances to try to attack our bodies to make us impatient with God's will. Now, what is the answer? What is the defense that we have? Remember, when Satan attacks your mind with lies... Your weapon is the inspired Word of God. What about when Satan attacks your body with circumstances? What is your weapon? Your weapon is the imparted grace of God. Let me read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Now, I may be speaking to some dear people right now who are suffering. You are going through physical affliction. Maybe you're blind. Or perhaps you've, you, you have arthritis or rheumatism or, or cancer. There's something in your physical body. And Satan says, does God love you? Can you really trust God? Look what God allowed to happen to you. Look, you've lost your arm. You've lost your leg. Look at what's happened in your family. Your child is sick. Your baby's sick. Oh, how the devil loves to use circumstances to attack us. But the answer is the imparted grace of God. 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul says this, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. What a strange gift. The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness, the imparted 
grace of God. Now, friend of mine, I want to become very practical and down to earth. I have been through physical suffering. And I think I know a little bit of what it's like to carry around a body that has a certain measure of pain attached to it. I think every one of us has something that we can complain about if we want to. Satan has attacked my body. There are circumstances that have come to my life that have made life difficult. And Satan has said, why don't you curse God and die? That's what Job's wife said to him. Why don't you just quit? God isn't taking care of you. Look at these circumstances you're in. I may be speaking to some preacher right now, some godly preacher, and things are tough in your church. Now, if things are tough in your church because of your carelessness, then you ought to get straightened out. If you've not been praying and preaching the word and studying and trying to win souls, then you ought to be in trouble. But I might be talking right now to some godly preacher, and you're trying to serve the Lord faithfully, but things are rough and circumstances are hard on you, and you'd like to pick up that body of yours and move someplace else. Let me give you some practical counsel now for every one of us. When circumstances come that are hard on us, We can do one of two things. We can rebel in unbelief or we can rejoice in faith. I want to repeat that now. When circumstances come that are difficult, we can rebel in unbelief, get bitter against God, or we can rejoice in faith. I want to give to you five steps to take. If you want the grace of God to go to work in your life, I want to give you five steps to take when circumstances become difficult. Number one, the very first thing, give thanks to God. You might be in a hospital bed. You might be in an emergency ward. I've been in both. But give thanks to God. Uh, In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, the minute you say, thank you, Lord, that you're here, Thank you, you're watching over me. Thank you, Father, that you are in control of circumstances. The minute you say thank you, God's grace goes to work in your life and takes away the bitterness and the rebellion. So step number one, give thanks to God. Step number two, surrender to God. Just turn yourself over to him. That's what Paul had to do. He prayed, oh God, take away this thing. It hurts, it hurts. God said, no, I'm not going to take away that thing, but I am going to give you the grace to bear it. Just surrender to me. Step number one, give thanks to God. Step number two, surrender to God. Step number three, examine your heart. See if there is anything in your heart that's wrong between you and the Lord. Examine your heart and say, God, what is in my life that needs correcting or perfecting? Either way, I can't lose. Number four, claim God's promises right away. All things work together for good to them that love God. Claim God's promises. Turn to the word of God and just saturate yourself with God's promises. Finally, seek to glorify Christ. Paul said in Philippians 1, I want to magnify Christ in my body, whether it be by life or by death. So seek some way to glorify Christ, to win some soul. You may be in a hospital bed. You say, what can I do for the Lord here? You can glorify him by your attitude and by your witness. I've discovered in my own life that these five steps are a tremendous help, and God gives me the grace that I need. When I come to the throne of grace, to the God of all grace, and I ask him, the word of God says, he giveth more grace. The imparted grace of God will give you victory over circumstances when Satan attacks your body. Thank you so much for listening. I trust it's been a blessing to study the Word of God.